Today's sponsor is Reading Horizons, developers of a foundational K3 reading program that focuses on decoding and encoding using skills, the critical components of structured literacy tier one. Reading Horizons programs deliver proven supplemental core literacy instruction based on the science of reading and put the Reading Horizons podcast named Podclast on your must-watch, must-listen list and take a deep dive into learning-focused topics such as structured literacy, social-emotional learning, dyslexia, and ed tech with host Laura Axtell, an educator and trainer with over 26 years of experience in instructional and administrative settings. The next season of Podclast begins Wednesday, June 16th. And be sure to listen to past episodes anytime on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and most podcasting platforms. Visit readinghorizons.com backslash podcast to learn more. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Teaching, Reading, and Learning, the TRL podcast. I'm Laura Stewart from the Reading League. The focus of this podcast is to elevate important conversations in the educational community to inspire and inform and celebrate contributions to teaching and learning. Today, our guest really epitomizes um, a mission-driven focus to her work, and that is Dr. Pam Kastner. I have had the privilege of getting to know Pam since I came on with the Reading League. Um, she's a president of the Reading League Pennsylvania. Um, and she's, I would characterize Pam as a passionate and dynamic leader. So if you're not familiar with Pam, I'll read her bio to you right now. Pam Kastner is an educational consultant at the Pennsylvania Training and Technical Assistance Network, or PATN. She serves as a state lead consultant for literacy and she currently co-leads Pennsylvania's Dyslexia Screening and Early Literacy Intervention Pilot Program Extension and Expansion for Patton. In addition, she is part of a research team investigating the impact of explicit instruction in advanced phonemic awareness on student literacy outcomes, and we'll talk about that today. She serves on the statewide multi-tiered system of supports, or MTSS, teams working extensively in the area of literacy, effective instruction, formative assessment, and professional learning communities. She has served in a number of leadership capacities at the district level and has served as the Pennsylvania Distinguished Educator for the Pennsylvania Department of Education. Pam is a certified Language Essentials for Teachers of Reading and Spelling, Letters Trainer, and a certified Reading Specialist. And she has the honor of serving as the President of the Reading League Pennsylvania. Um, you know, those of you that know Pam, uh, you probably wonder how she does all the things that she does. Her contributions to our collective understanding around the science of reading have been many. So in today's episode, we'll talk more about how she got started, you know, kind of what makes her tick, um, and we'll talk about the importance of kindness. So welcome to the TRL podcast. Welcome, Pam, to the TRL podcast. Thank you, Laura. It's such an honor to be here. Oh, it's so it's so great to have you here. Um, you know, in the intro, I, I mentioned to everybody how 
you just have made such great contributions to all of us and our professional knowledge and how grateful we are for that. So I'm just grateful you could be here to talk, to let everybody get to know you a little bit more and talk about your work. So I think we'll just, um, we'll just jump right in. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> it does. Thank you. So I wanted to start just with kind of your origin story, because I know people have been really interested in hearing from our guests, you know, how did they get started in education? You know, what kind of what were some early influences? So maybe just talk talk about that for a minute. Okay, well, um, I think a lot of us are very fortunate to uh, work in a profession where we really don't think it's work. <laughs> that is certainly me. I've, my whole life, everything in terms of literacy has really never felt like work because since I was eight <laughs> and my third grade teacher, I'm sure many people had the same origin story, but I had a third grade teacher that was absolutely amazing and certainly many after, but she left such an impression on my life that I really thought that when I grow up, I want to be a teacher. And the really neat thing was um, many years later, I was running a latchkey program and the latchkey program was in the schools and it happened to be at one of their, her school. And um, she was there talking about the latchkey program. When I was talking about the latchkey program, I didn't know it. And I was saying, Oh, I'm a teacher because of Miss Sullivan. Oh my gosh. And didn't she stand up out of the audience? Oh my gosh. It was one of those moments you just never forget. You know what I mean? I was just so awesome to be able to thank her all yeah. those years later. So um, I've always wanted to be a teacher. So. Well, th think what that meant to her, you know, because as, in, as a teacher, that just is what, what fuels our heart is when you know that you've made an influence like that. What was it about her? Um, I think um, a lot of it, honestly, was her caring. She was a very caring, nurturing uh, teacher. She was a very skilled teacher. I learned a lot in her class, but I also felt like she was very vested in all her students. Um, she would uh, write little notes, you know, that you could take home and for your parents. Mm -hmm. And so much of my teaching, I really tried to emulate all that. I loved and still do love all my kindergarten students that I had and went to their birthday parties and their baseball games and all of that. Um, they were like my other little family. So it's very, very um, fortunate and blessed to have a life where you can serve, but also you, you, you get so much, you know, there's so much that returns to you. So is that, so did you go in, was that your first teaching job as kindergarten? Uh, yes, it was kindergarten and I taught kindergarten in the morning. That's when they had half days I had kindergarten in the morning and I taught gifted in the afternoon. Oh. So it was, it was a big, <laughs> a big span. Yeah. And so when you were, so then you, did you go from teaching then into your work that you're doing now? Or what was the next kind of, what was the next step for you? Um, I became a reading specialist uh, eventually, but uh, what my next step was, and this is such an odd, maybe journey. I always say I really should still be in that classroom, that kindergarten classroom. I'd be very happy to be there, but um, I had a heart for all my kids, but for my kids who were at risk, I had the, mm -hmm. you know, the most heart and yeah. um I had my reading specialist certification and um, I didn't want to put it on my cert. <laughs> you know what happens when you put it on your cert? Yeah. They can, you, they can put you anywhere. <laughs> so at, at one point though, if I didn't put it on, I would never be able to put it on because I was running out of time. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so I was, I thought, well, I'll put it on there and hope that they don't make me leave the classroom. But while I was searching the PDE website, which can be <laughs> a bit of a black hole sometimes, um, I saw a link that said distinguished educators. And I thought, oh my gosh, I wonder what that is. And as it turned out, the state at that time was uh, initiating a, almost like, I think about it almost as a Peace Corps kind of thing in the sense that they were 
um, launching distinguished educators who would go into the highest risk schools um, in, the, in the state and be embedded in there for a number of years to support them with systemic change. So <laughs> honestly, here I am, a kindergarten teacher. Um, I did have my national board certification and everything, but I thought, this sounds so wonderful to be able to really help where there's a great need. And um, I applied for it. Um, the first time I went to Patton actually was to for my first interview for that. I walked in the room as a little kindergarten teacher, all these people are in the room, doctor, Dr. So-and-so, Dr. So-and-so, I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I doing here? So uh, written exams um, first, and then they did um, interviews where they put a scenario out there for you to see how you would interact with others. Then they put you in field work and, mm -hmm. and observed your interactions with principals They put you out there. And then there was a governor's school where there's more interviews and more um, you know, practices that we had to engage in. Yeah. And then six months later, they selected the first cohort of DEs. And there were only two teachers selected in the state. And I, I was one of them. And I always say, honestly, it was a God thing. <laughs> it really wasn't anything else but that. But, you know, as a teacher, you know, I, I mean, I have so much joy being with children. Um, it was a difficult decision. And my district was so kind to give me a leave of absence so I could go and do this. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I never realized until I did it that I could have as much joy um, helping adults mm -hmm. as I could kids. And so the vast majority of the DEs were, um, like, as I said, superintendents, curriculum directors. Wow. So I was very fortunate to learn so much from them. They were so generous. Wow. Um, yeah. it, was, it was something. <laughs> and then I went back to my school district. But, you know, Pam, doesn't, don't you think that, I mean, you followed that calling, right? I mean, you felt that that was draw that was calling to you, you followed it, and then it, it set your career on a whole different path, right? It did. I mean, if I hadn't been looking for that link, I mean, I would still be in the kindergarten classroom and very happy. I don't mean that at all, but I, that's why I say, I almost think it's like a God thing. Like, what are the chances that I would be looking for that, the link would be there, and also that it that, it, you know, I know I, the first experience I had was in a, a large school and the superintendent introduced me because I was leading the group in and she's a kindergarten teacher. And I said, I was like, yes, I'm so proud <laughs> to be a kindergarten teacher. I don't know if he meant it that way. Right. Um, but I think sometimes early educators, uh, there may not be as much respect uh, or knowledge that uh, the deep knowledge they need to have in order to ensure that children read. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it was it was it was life altering. Well, was that a would you consider that kind of one of the watershed moments in your in your career? For sure, most definitely. I mean, I moved out of my house. Uh, I lived out of, away from home for you know, except for on the weekends for almost three years. So it really it changed me. Um, but I mean, I still love being with kids. It's what I love about my job at Patton. That I'm still in classrooms, still with teachers, uh, still with students. But that you can also you know hopefully help systems adults too because those are the ones the adults are the ones who are making the decisions that impact the kids well I think Pam like uh, you know you were called to that and so for every teacher that you impacted in one year that you know impacted you know 25 kids or 30 kids or you know so your impact on children just magnified essentially I hope so that was my goal <laughs> so that's a three-year program no um um it was two years but then uh the state department of ed have asked if I could stay an additional year 
And my district did allow me to do that. Okay. So I, I did return um, a little bit sooner because in our district, the uh, PSSA uh, state assessments came back and my superintendent was like, oh, all that stuff you learned, <laughs> come back yeah. and help us. So okay. I went back. So, um, and then did, from there, did you go to Patton? No, um, from there, I, I was a reading specialist and in the afternoons, um, I worked uh, system-wide supporting um, instruction and intervention and data analysis. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's when uh, I had my reading recovery training as well. Um, and I ended up being an, uh, asked to come back as a person who would interview potential other DEs. Okay. And I ended up, um, the person sitting next to me doing the interviews was the director of Patton at that time. And she said, oh, you really need to come back and work at the state level. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So Pam, you mentioned um, your reading recovery training. You mentioned the training for this. Were you, were you well-prepared in terms of uh, being a reading specialist and, and you know, knowing how to work with teachers in this area? Were you prepared in the area of the science of reading? Tell me about your preparation. Uh, my preparation was much like uh, many teachers and reading specialists across the country. Um, it was very, you know, balanced literacy, whole language. Right. It was right. really, um, you know, it was thought as, you know, the epicenter, you know, the most rigorous thing, reading recovery was the most rigorous path you could take towards that goal. Um, so definitely in, in this area, it was very, very much balanced literacy. There really wasn't anything else. Um, and I think, you know, lots of teachers are in that, in that same boat. Yeah. Um, I think less so now uh, in the sense of knowing even there's something else because of the reading league, because of social media, Emily Hanford, others, they can hear about the science of reading. But when this was happening, I mean, you went to college, right? Your professor said this is the best way to teach children. You would have, I mean, I had no reason not to believe them. And uh, so it was, uh, I always say, because uh, I, Again, I had the honor of being a national letters trainer now as well. Um, there hasn't been a letters training that I have done where there isn't somebody in the stages of seven stages of grief. And I know because I went through them myself. I mean, uh, it was hard when it was hard <laughs> because um, all teachers, I'm sure, reflect on. And I did students that I had that somehow I just couldn't reach. And I kept thinking, what is missing? And, you know, you know what's going to happen when kids aren't skilled readers. Right. So. Um, I think, you know, we all go through that guilt. I know I did. Yeah. And that sadness that, and then anger, <laughs> you know, why? Why didn't I know this? Um, because it's been out there, right? It's not like when I was going through my um, graduate, uh, undergraduate, any of my certifications that I have, that it wasn't known. It just wasn't known, you know, to me or to many others in my state. So, you know, Pam, I, I, I have the same story. I think so many of us do, right? We came up as as balanced literacy or whole language teachers, and and you know I think that's one thing I've I've talked to teachers about. You know, we kind of have to let go of what we didn't know and embrace what we know now. But I I, I really appreciate how you you frame that around kind of like stages of grief. It really is. But I in, in some ways I honestly think it helps me, and I hope it does. I hope it helps me be a better trainer. Mm -hmm. um, and honestly, of all the people I know in our profession, and I have the honor of knowing a lot of people, I only know one person, one, who from the very beginning knew the science of reading, never had been taught anything else. Wow. It's Erin wow. Amy, her mom um, is a very uh, skilled uh, Orton Gillingham um, trainer mm -hmm. and um, specialist and tutor and created her own curriculum. Erin never knew anything but, but honestly, she's the only person I've ever met 
that didn't start on this path in a different in a different way. Wow, interesting. Yeah, of all the people you've met, and that's considerable. Right. What about you too, Laura? Have you met anyone who from the beginning? No. Okay. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Like, yeah, one. So tell us about tell us about your work at Patton, uh, and tell us what Patton is, because you know we'll have a lot of listeners that may not know. So go ahead and tell us what that is. And tell us about your work there. Okay. So Patton, uh, which is an acronym, is the Pennsylvania Training and Technical Assistance Network. Um, it is the professional development arm of the Bureau of Special Education and the Department of Education in Pennsylvania. Um, we are IDEA funded, so everything that Patton offers to school districts comes at no cost. Um, we span anything that you might need <laughs> in education, from autism to deaf and hard of hearing, literacy, mathematics, you name it, soup to nuts. Um, and we work in partnership in our state with 29 intermediate units. So uh, when I'm out kind of talking across the country, uh, when I talk about our state system of support, there's a lot of states that are envious. Our IU have technical assistant consultants who are in similar roles to ours. And we work together with um, local school districts to really help them, in my role, um, move literacy forward. So, yep, and I serve as a state lead uh, for literacy at Patton. Okay, sorry. Yeah. So, do you do you go around the state, Pam? Then in in these different districts, is it is it every district or just certain districts? Um, we work with all the districts, um, but we also work in partnership with our intermediate units. There are five hundred districts in the state, and so Patton has three large centers: one in Harrisburg, which is our state capital; one in Pittsburgh, and one in uh, Malvern, which is very near the Philadelphia area. So, you have these um, large state centers. Mm -hmm. uh, regionally, and then uh, just directly uh, working with us are our intermediate unit partners. And they are funded by um, IDEA funds as well. Got so it. we we develop okay. a training and together and yeah, so. And I know you're involved in a, in a research project specifically around uh, phoneme awareness, am I right? Yes, yes. Tell us about that, because I <laughs> right now that's a very timely topic. Oh, yes, it is. <laughs> What is your research revealing for us? Okay, so um, how the research started is uh, working with the school district that implemented um, direct explicit instruction in um, phonemic awareness in kindergarten, large school district in our state, 13 elementaries, an ideal, an ideal research site because they have both rural, suburban, and urban schools. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, and so when they implemented this instruction, um, their kindergarten scores, of course, increased significantly, but what was most telling was um, of the elementary schools, 13, six are um, title schools, mm -hmm. and those schools were achieving at or above the non-title schools, and their growth data was like off the charts. And so um, when we think about research, <laughs> there's causality and there's correlational and so um, we, we implemented a new uh, way of instructing. We saw significant gains in kindergarten, but um, can you say that it was a direct result of? Um, so uh, in order to do that, you need to control variables. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, this school district was, uh, I think, very, very generous and willing to test the hypothesis of, uh, was it this particular type of instruction or was it something else? And so, um, in partnership with the University of Connecticut and Mike Coyne and Lena Edwards-Santoro, who works out of the uh, University of Oregon and partners with them, we um, established an RCT, a randomized controlled trial, okay. in first grade. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the 13 elementary schools 
um, they were randomly selected and match pair designed. So for example, um, one of their rural schools was in treatment and one of the rural schools was not. But they were randomly selected. Okay. Match pair design. So uh, in the control um, schools, they could continue, of course, to teach phonemic awareness, but not in a particular way with this, this curriculum. Um, and in the treatment schools, of course, they could. Yeah. The other difference was in terms of variable is the um, treatment schools were in PLCs every month. All right. Okay. So, yes, yeah. all their first grade teachers and reading specialists had a monthly PLC with me around the science of reading. And um, of course, it started out with um, the simple view of reading, Scarborough's reading rope, you know, anchor us. We had fun with pH words because they can be so confused. Um, and yes, there was definitely a deep focus on truly understanding phonological and phonemic awareness, error correction, how to teach the articulatory gestures, you know, all those foundational things that right, you right. need. And then each month um, we would rotate to a different one of these schools. And we would also, which I think is the most valuable and the teacher said was the most valuable, valuable too, was every, after the first month of norming and getting us anchored, I asked for volunteers who wouldn't mind having us kind of come in and see a lesson. And there's always teachers. And I say, I honor them so much because they have 20 teachers. Because I had like 20 some teachers in the morning and 20 some in the afternoon, all kind of like bunch into your room <laughs> to look at your instruction. Oh, that's a little hard, you know? <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yes. I mean, because who do you want to do your best for? Really your peers, right? Um, and uh, I always feel that uh, teaching is the most isolating profession there is. And it is such a loss. It truly is. When I became a reading specialist, I found out in my school, there were teachers teaching in ways that I was going out in conferences to try to figure out how to do. And they were right down the hall. Right down the hall. But I didn't know. Yeah. So um, they would go in and see a lesson and we had like a little checklist and we would give mm -hmm. like feedback. Um, and the great thing was, because there's always science and there's art, right? So even in a curriculum that is somewhat scripted, um, there's a lot of art in it too. Yes. And it was so neat to see I love that. Mm -hmm. um, the good practices that the teachers were engaged in one school one month that we all shoved in and see. And then all of a sudden the next month you see them, it's like spreading, it's spreading good practice and it's building community and it's building culture of learning and breaking down those barriers. Um, so there was always a, a review kind of to start, just to think about a good lesson, <laughs> kind of review what we learned last month. Okay, here's some new learning that we're going to add onto your learning. We're going to go visit a classroom and see the instruction. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to talk about what we saw and how we can refine our practices and then come back next month. So um, that was kind of the added layer. And I think sometimes um, that's such an important one because our professional learning often is one and done. Yes. <laughs> um, even yeah. if um, even in school districts, if you're handed a curriculum and you're lucky enough to have the training, you then still have to try to figure it out yourself. Right. But also kids don't respond in the ways, you know, kids don't respond like robots. So um, I was so excited to see when we went, visited one classroom, uh, we were working with ECRI too, which is direct explicit instruction and literacy routines with error correction procedures. So we're in watching a lesson and the students make a mistake and this teacher stops right away and says, my turn, models the correct response, your turn. I mean, just right there. Right. So all those all those things that are so essential to effective instruction, explicit, direct, systematic, error correction, opportunities for practice for kids, but also those things are important for teachers. So um, each month, you know, going around to these different schools um, and the, some of the teachers had never even been 
to the other schools in the district. So um, in addition to the curriculum too, there was fidelity checks, there were logs. There, uh, Mike Coyne um, and his staff came down and did fidelity checks, did interviews of the teachers for um, explanatory research to kind of think about how the teachers felt about this. Um, and at, at the conclusion, we had a really nice bump in effect size. We had a 0.55 effect size. And as a, as a result of that, Mike and I <laughs> and uh, the group from the University of Connecticut wrote an IES grant to hopefully scale that up. It wasn't awarded this year. We're hoping it will maybe next year with some tweaks. Um, but this is the way research works <laughs> in the sense that um, we saw some nice outcomes that were that we couldn't really lay our finger on and say uh, for certain it was a result of this instruction. Then we, you know, engage in an RCT and control variables. Mm -hmm. right. And then, then we have confidence to say in this setting, under these conditions with these students, yes. Uh, yes. this is what we can say. But when we want to make general statements, like some that we can make in education, settled science has come from many replications of studies under conditions with, you know, different kids, different right, situations. Right, right. But yeah. So that's what we hope to do is to uh, scale up that study across the state. And so can uh, in these different um, environments, not just the school district that we were in, can we can we see similar results? And if we do, we then we see it with even more confidence that this works. Right. You know, Pam, um, I just want to go back and just talk about some of the characteristics of, of this study that you that you um, endeavored to do. First of all, you know, you mentioned the, um, you know, that you had the data, you know, you, you kept this kind of relentless look at data, direct explicit instruction, uh, control the variables, the monthly PLC involving observations, review and feedback cycle. All those ingredients then can can be put into this study. So I'm just, I want to magnify that for our listeners so that they can kind of think about Okay, as we as we as we look to, you know, enacting certain practices in our classrooms, what do we need to do in order to get those kinds of results that you got right? But I really want to key in on this this culture of cooperation and learning. I think what you mentioned about the ability to build that trust and to tap into that art of teaching that's just so critical. Is there, is there any? Did you have any? Um, what do you think was the kind of the special part that developed that trust? What was the special secret sauce that allowed you to develop that, that trust? I, I hope it's that I um, I create a, an, an environment for safety. Yeah. Um, I think the same thing for kids. I'm trying to create the same environment for teachers that I work with as I did for my students. We don't learn environments where we're not, we're afraid to ask a question, where we'll feel that I'm stupid if I ask this question, right? Um, we're, and I think sometimes my background, you know, not knowing helps a little bit like that. And I'm here today telling you things, but a year from now, I'll, I'll know things hopefully that I don't know now that I'll feel bad about that I didn't know today. But what I'm saying is if you're going to be a teacher, you must always be a learner. You serve children. Ultimately, I serve children. I serve teachers too, but I serve children. And so I, I must, I must continue learning because that's the highest calling I think that you can go to is, is to help children. And so um, I hope that, and I heard back from them, they felt really safe. They felt like they got to know each other and they were could ask questions and they were collaborating across the district when they hadn't before. And 
you know, you know, I heard, you know, the, in the interviews that Mike did, you know, the best uh, PD that we've ever had. And that's not because of me. It's because of the structure in the sense of they were allowed to dig in. They were supported by their school districts every single month. Their districts got um, uh, substitutes so that they could spend three hours really digging into the science of reading, seeing each other's practice, reflecting on that. That means a lot too. You know, leadership is so important in this. And Stacy Cherney was my lead contact there, and the superintendent, Dr. Carol Johnson. When leadership sends a message, but then uh, acts on that message. That makes a difference. They were saying, wow, they are investing in us. You know, we're out of the classroom every month and we're getting to visit. And it meant a lot to them that the district was willing, because for the most part, very few districts invest in long-term job embedded professional learning. That's really what a PLC is. Lots of places are saying they're doing PLCs, but they don't have the principles and tenets that are aligned with the research that says this is a true PLC. And this was a true, it really was a true PLC, um, shared and supportive leadership, shared values and vision, shared personal practice. They were learning collectively together and applying that. Those are the tenets of PLCs. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I think, you know, um, you know, I'm just hearing you say so many things that I think are just so resonant. I mean, first of all, this environment, creating the environment for teachers that you would want to create for children, you know? because we all require this kind of risk-free environment in which we can take chances and feel supported in that. Um, You also bring up the leadership and how critical leadership that doesn't just say, but does. Yes. Active leadership. And then the idea that we see ourselves as always learning. We're always moving forward. I I am with you 100% on that. I always say to groups that I speak with, you know, if I if I come back a year from now and I'm not saying something different, shame on me. You know, we hopefully we'll all have have continued to move move forward. And I and I think that's how I think that's how that PLC made them feel that you you might not be where you want to be yet, but you're on the path. And that's what's important. Um, and it's it was one of the best uh, years, my best professional years of my life, because I really felt connected to them, connected to the students, connected to the learning. And, and I was seeing, I was seeing great things. I mean, uh, and the teachers were, and the teachers hearing from their peers, you know, that was rocked. I love how you did that. You could, uh, you know how, when you see kids beam, do you know what I mean? I could see that efficacy, you know, that at first it was self-efficacy, but then it was collective efficacy. Collective efficacy. I love that. I don't know. <laughs> I miss them. They still you know, email, we miss you. I miss you too. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, hopefully we'll, hopefully we'll all be back in school soon, (laughs) you know, but you know, um, I, I read that when you um, received your doctorate, your dissertation focused on the efficacy of professional learning communities. So did this really inform the work then that you, that you set out to do? It did. It did. Um, At the time um, I will be an adjunct at uh, Mount St. Joseph's this summer. And I'm so, so honored for that, but you know, they're, they're, aren't a lot of places, or there weren't at least, um, where you get your doctorate in reading science. Um, so I really felt focusing on um, learning structures that really result in uh, teachers learning, but at the same time building community because when an individual teacher learns, it's um, an island of excellence. Um, and 
that is not equitable. <laughs> you shouldn't have to win the teacher lottery, right? So um, we need to build um, environments that are supportive and create cultures and climates where there's continuous learning. And that can't be done in one day wonders. Right. You know, Pam, you, you bring up something I think that's really important that I talked about with another guest that we had, which is that, you know, we are really focused a lot on the science of reading, but we also need to focus on the science of learning. You know, how do how do we not just our kids, but we you know, as teachers, how do we learn and how do we enact those those principles for our own learning and then use those same principles to help our students learn as well? So mm -hmm. you're, I, I love the way you're speaking to this not only the science of reading, but also this whole idea of the science of learning. Yeah, and I think part of it is uh, voice and choice. Although they were all engaged in uh, curriculum, each of the PLCs offered a number, because we looked at um, sound walls, decodable text, right. all kinds of things, but it offered them pathways to enter. I wasn't telling them you have to do this or that, but I was teaching them and saying, here's some things that will be effective and hey, maybe you want to try them. So it was also interesting to see how there was a ripple effect well beyond the curriculum in phonemic awareness because we were focusing on different areas um, related to the science of reading, but also grounded in evidence, but grounded in practicality. <laughs> okay, you learn something uh, about the science because you must, we must rest on science, but here's how to translate that and make a choice. Do you wanna try that? And so you would see teachers going off some doing sound walls, some saying, yeah, I really need to look at the codable text. One, one of the schools completely redid their, uh, their book room. Unbelievable. Uh, took all their level text and grouped them by topic to build knowledge, but then bought decodable text and organized them by phonics, scope, and sequence. Um, so you could see like tangible evidence Right of learning. Yeah, and I think what you're speaking to is um, speaking to as well is the ownership. Their own, you know, if you build it, you own it. And I think that whole idea of you said choice and voice, voice. and multiple points of entry. Right, you're you're extending invitations for multiple points of entry. Yeah, it was it was really neat to see which way they went. Right. Well, you know, I, what I love about everything you're saying, Pam, is it just is it just reiterates. Um, I think how people perceive you, you know, you're a real teacher's teacher and you're still there working with kids and loving that and, and thinking about how do we learn and how do we bring that our best selves in through the learning. And I think your, your work has really struck a chord with a lot of people. I know you're, you're so prolific, in <laughs> the wakelets and padlets. And by, by the way, Pam, what's the difference between a padlet and a wakelet? I need to know. Um, there really isn't uh, much difference. Um, it's just that, um, as you know, some people were kind of taking my work and saying it was their own. So in a wake that I can protect that work and still share it. So it's a way to curate um, uh, resources uh, to share. Uh, so everything I always do, I always do for free and um, I'm glad to share. Um, so the path that's pretty much started out of, I post a lot, which you know, but honestly, teachers are going and, you know, in a large part to social media to learn about the science of reading. And so you go where the teachers are. And so I would post things and someone would say, hey, you posted this, do you have it? And I was like, oh my gosh. So I started putting things in spreadsheets yeah, and then I yeah. found out about Padlet. and I thought, okay, so I can keep it in that way. People can access it and I keep, can keep adding to it, but I'm very particular. <laughs> um, you know, everything on there has been, you know, those things have changed very vetted. 
Um, so it all aligns with the science of reading. It's a nice balance, I think, of professional learning and resources to um, you know, put it into your practice. So I don't know. I didn't know how much they were used until I moved them over to Wakelet. Then I found out. So I was just pushing them out and saying, you know, of course. Um, so I have lots around different topics, but you know, it's just my way, hopefully, of contributing a little bit of something. You know, well, I think uh, you can I think you contribute a lot of something, sister. I mean, I think, and I'm sure you get a lot of really good feedback and well-deserved. Um, do you think that your work, I, I, I tend to think about the stuff that you put out as striking a deep chord because it's so grounded in practice. Yeah, I think so. I am always grounded first in the research, but I always am looking for what ways to translate that research into practice. Um, so there, I always think of them as like little, I don't know if this sounds bad, but Trojan horses, like little things that you can um, change in your practice that align with the science of reading that can have a big impact. And um, oftentimes behavior precedes belief in the sense that if I can help a teacher um, change an instructional behavior that is uh, more aligned with the science of reading and then students learn more than the teachers believe and that this science of reading has some, <laughs> has some merit to it and they want more. So, all teachers want their students to learn more. So I always believe that students lead the way there in the sense that they are showing us what works. We need to be paying attention to that. Um, so, you know, um, it's funny you mentioned behavior persuades belief. You know, it's funny because I know when I first started out working with adults, I used to think what, that everybody, you had to have your belief straight before you could enact behavior or practice. Mm -hmm. And I've come completely, you know, uh, completely differently thinking about that, mm -hmm. um, that behavior can influence and, and impact our belief. I wanted to mention too, we'll put in the show notes how people can access your- Okay, wakelets. Because <laughs> you know, everybody's gonna want that, Pam. If people who are listening that may not know. I wanted a wakelet to, or wakelets. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. I wanted to mention too that um, I've read in one of your bios that your mission is to build collaborative partnerships that develop educators' knowledge and skills leading to increases in student achievement. And I just think that's a really lovely personal mission. Yeah, it still is. I mean, I, I, I was thinking about this today, Laura, and I thought, what is grounding everything? And honestly, it's relationships. Um, if you don't have relationships with people that are grounded in them thinking that, of course, your first goal is their they're something that's good for them. Do you understand what I'm saying? That you, your goal is for to help them, to make their life better, to make things um, clearer for them around the science. If, if people don't believe that, they're not, even when they're starting to behave in different ways, um, if they don't, they don't trust um, and they don't feel like you're a person I can learn from, um, it, it'll, it'll start, but it'll go, the, the spark will go out. You know, so I, I think so much of it too is just about being a good human. <laughs> And being kind and, uh, and uh, you know, and noticing what they're doing well, um, because when, uh, you know, I'll speak for myself, um, when I found out about the science of reading, I honestly felt like pond scum. <laughs> Someone had said something to me, like, how are you feeling? I said, I don't feel like I am worthy to walk through the door of this school because how did I not know this, right? And so it's not a good place to be. And so that's why I think it's so important for these climate and culture and this collaboration because when you're going through it together right you can mm -hmm. you can especially in these plcs they were telling each other like i love what you're doing and here teachers you know how how often do teachers hear that instruction was so amazing and i loved how you did this yeah 
And uh, as a kindergarten teacher, you know, I wanted to hear that from another kindergarten teacher. That's the opinion that meant the most to me. Um, so, and my principal, you know, didn't know a lot about early childhood. Right. Um, and so hearing from my peers that I was doing something that they valued and they would take to their practice meant a lot to me. It built my efficacy. And that's what I saw in these teachers. Right. Yeah. Well, I think that it goes back to what you mentioned, just kind of as humans, right? I mean, as humans, what do we want? We want to be heard. We want to be acknowledged. Um, we want to be seen, right? We want to really be seen. And also we want to be treated kindly. Yes. Yeah. And that's, that's just the truth. <laughs> it's the truth. <laughs> it's true. And it's just human nature, but it, sometimes we don't act in ways that um, really support humans and learning and adult learning, especially um, teachers. Are, honestly, they're in their rooms and the door shuts. You know, my principal came in twice, um, twice a year. And I was so sad when I became a reading specialist and I'm in classrooms in my building and I'm thinking, how did I not know that you were doing this? I was in my room trying to struggle how to translate that from going to a conference. And yet here, this teacher down the hall was doing it like gangbusters, but I was never out of my classroom until I was no longer a classroom teacher. There's something very wrong with that. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That, that. That opportunity to watch and collaborate and support. Mm -hmm, that's really important. It builds community. Right, right. Well, Pam, um, so, so when we think about the, your journey, um, which has been, you know, really super interesting, and I, I want you to reflect back on, you know, over the course of your career, how far do you think we've come as a community of literacy educators, and and what's what's the work left to do? I think we've come a long way, to be honest with you. I know there's a long way to go yet. And I think as educators, we're always reflecting on what we haven't done yet. <laughs> we don't, we're not very good at patting ourselves on the back for how far we've come, but um, just even me knowing <laughs> that the science of reading shows that we've changed, right? That there, um, that there's been progress, you know, I think more so now than in many years prior. Uh, I think that the Reading League is, uh, has a lot to do with that. Um, just look at the growth of the Reading League, my gosh, and what's been accomplished in such a short amount of time. That speaks to how much we've grown. I think Emily Hanford has brought the conversation into the general public. And um, we know it's parents' voices uh, that truly matter. And, and all our states that have passed dyslexia legislations, thank you, parents. <laughs> you have led the way and made such a difference for all children because we know that the instruction that uh, benefits children with reading challenges benefits all children. So I think we've come a long way. Um, it's, in the, it's in the general population. It's in the New York Times. It's, right, it's everywhere. Yeah. Um, but you know, there's still resistance <laughs> and there's money and politics always involved. And so, um, but I think that, you know, the, the Reading League and, and others, we're, we're literacy warriors. We will not <laughs> stop <laughs> until we drop, you know, the day I die, that's the day I stop. Um, because as I said before, we have a calling to serve children and the right of every child to be able to read and reach their potential because we know that's the barrier to all other um, trajectories. If you cannot read, what can you do? So we just, we have a high calling and we we have to persevere. <laughs> that's right. You know, it, it's funny, just, uh, just today, we were talking about um, some new mottos to put on the back of our t-shirt. I like what you just said. We are literacy warriors. We will not stop. We won't. <laughs> 
Maybe that's maybe that's our new. I, I've yet to meet a reading league member that that didn't apply to, right? Hundred percent agree with you. Hundred percent agree. With and you. together, together we can accomplish things that we can't. We've been, uh, you know, prior we were everyone was kind of doing their thing and doing their best individually, but like Maria has said many times, it's a league. Right. We're a league, and together we can make yes. a difference. Right. Right. And so yeah, I always tell people the word league is very deliberate. And you look at the logo and how it symbolizes, you know, the stakeholders and all of us playing a part in keeping this momentum going. I think that's that's really so true. So on that on that note, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, the Reading League Pennsylvania. I mentioned in the intro that you're the president of the Reading League Pennsylvania, and of course, it's been a thrill for me to get to know you through that work. Um, and just so our listeners know, you know, we're growing uh, at the time of this filming. We have eight chapters and we have quite a few other states in the queue so that the reading lead chapter movement is growing and you're one of the founding chapters, by the way. Um, so tell us some of your plans for the reading league. Tell our listeners some of the plans for reading league Pennsylvania. Uh, well, upcoming in the spring, um, Dr. Catherine Pace-Miles is coming back to join us. She did an amazing presentation on types of high-frequency words, and she's returning with her graduate students to talk about the translation of this research into practice, which ah, I love. So they're kindergarten teachers and other teachers that are talking about how they applied and they'll have videos of that practice. Um, we are going to be collaborating with uh, the Reading League Wisconsin and the Reading League Wisconsin, uh, Louisiana to do a session with William Van Cleve on handwriting. <laughs> and then in May, that's at the end of April. And in, and in May, we have AIM coming to talk about their new uh, writing work. And so those are just some things coming up, but we're always um, on social media, pushing out uh, lots of great uh, resources. Um, a big thank you to our board members, uh, Don Brookhart, who's a vice president, uh, Aaron Amy, who's the secretary, Deb Fulton, who's our treasurer, and Jackie Gavoli. Uh, so I'm very honored to um, be on the board with them. We work really hard. We're small and mighty, <laughs> and we keep chugging away, So and we will. So Well, and, and thank you for giving a shout out to your board. You guys are hardworking. You guys are very hardworking. You have a lot of activities going on for the, for the teachers and educators in Pennsylvania, and I'll put in the show notes um, how they can find you, but why don't you just tell the audience how they can um, connect with Reading League Pennsylvania? It's kind of www.readingleaguepa.org. <laughs> Very good. Okay, good. So, um, so just to kind of reflect uh, back, Pam, what are some of the greatest lessons you've learned in your career? Um, let me think about that. Greatest lessons. I think it's back to the same thing that it matters how we connect to people whether it be a child or an adult, that, um, that we treat each other with kindness um, and support one another. And also that we celebrate our small, our small wins along the way. So we don't get tired on the journey because it's a long journey, but um, I, it's just together we're stronger. And um, it's an honor to know so many people and how grateful I am to have learned from so many people over the course of my career. Um, so I don't know. I think it's more like gratitude. Yeah, yeah. And I, I I feel that from you, Pam. I always feel that that gratitude, and I think you're a great role model in that way. Thank you. Thank you. you. <laughs> so um, I do want to uh, close with the with our rapid fire questions. <laughs> so you've already named. Um, I, I mentioned one of our rapid fire questions: Who's your favorite teacher and why? And you already mentioned Miss Sullivan. Is she is she your favorite teacher of all time? She is. 
<laughs> she is my favorite. Because you mentioned she was kind and caring and invested in her kids. Mm -hmm. So she 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 helped settle that into your heart, didn't it's she? Like those little ducks, you know those ducks imprint? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, another question is, what is your favorite book, either as a child or as an adult? If you can't pick one, just pick a favorite book. Okay. Well, it's very typical, but To Kill a Mockingbird is one of my favorite books. Um, and one of my children, favorite children's one right now to read to my grandkids, Lola, Layla, Leo, Lily, Louie, and Daphne, is The, the Gruffalo. I love it. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. They love it too. Uh now, I, I noticed you just gave a shout out to your grandkids. Now, say, it, say it again slower, Pam. What are their names so they can so they can hear themselves on this podcast? Okay, so Lola, Layla, Leo, Lily, Louie, and the deal breaker, Daphne. <laughs> Daphne, the deal breaker. I love it. Yeah, yeah, well, I also have a lot of L's in my life, letters, literacy, and That's all the, right. the five first, and then Daphne, she broke the streak. <laughs> she just turned one. So they're 11, 9, 7, 4, and uh, 1, and 7 months. <laughs> oh, what a great, uh, what a great gift those your grandchildren are. My gosh, talk about gratitude, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, we could talk, we could talk grandma talk all day, right? We could. <laughs> uh, so what are you, Pam, what are you reading right now? Um, right now I'm reading this, and I wonder if you've read it. I know. I don't oh, know it's that. Really it's good. called Being Human. Being okay. Human. And it's Judith Human. And she's a disability rights activist. It's about her journey. Oh, my gosh. It's compelling. Wow. Um, it's really, really good. Okay. Being Human. I'll put that in the show notes for sure. Judith Human. I'll put that in the show notes. Great. Um, okay. And what do you have on your desk that symbolizes you or is dear to you? <laughs> I have pictures of my grandkids. Of course. <laughs> I do. But I do have a pillow that one of my kindergarten students and a quilt right behind that one of my, my whole class made a quilt once for me with their handprints. A mother made it. And I have a, a pillow that a student made too. You know I, mean? I think that, I think we need to be anchored still to kids. I am uh, in Ames uh, practicum for Orton Gillingham. Um, I think the further removed we are from kids, you know, the less, yeah. I think we still have to have our, we still have to have that uh, deep connection to kids while we're still working on systems. You know, I, I think it gives us more credibility too. I totally agree, Pam. And, you know, and don't, and our kids need that. Our kids need that connection from us, don't they? They do. Yeah. My oldest granddaughter, Lola, has dyslexia. Um, and so she is my practicum student, <laughs> although there'll be others in the future. And I, I do think that um, that's one of my uh, best parts of patent. We are very much grounded still in classrooms while we're still working on systems. So I am grateful to Angela Kirby and Chris Turney, who are my directors at Patton for their, um, their leadership and uh, knowing that how important it is to be connected still to the classroom while we're still at the same time working at the state level and working at systems level. You, I think when you're grounded in the classroom, it, it gives you even more um, encouragement to be working on the system. <laughs> so, yeah, well, and that's, I can tell just from talking with you and just knowing you now that that's what, that's what keeps you energized. It is. <laughs> it's like your, your feet are in the classroom, right? Your heart is in the classroom and that's really what, what keeps you energized, Pam. Yeah, it really tell. anchors, it anchors you. So, you know, you know what your purpose is. It's never far from you. <laughs> so, um, so what are the greatest hopes you have for today's children? Mm. 
I wish for every child that they have, that they become skilled readers so they can become the person they are meant to be. Um, I wish that for every child. I wish for, just like my quote, I wish for every teacher to know the science of reading so that they can help every child read. That's so empowering, you know? So if we don't help our adults, we don't help our kids. So I wish that for teachers and for students. Oh, that's great. Well, and like I said, I'll, and that's, that's beautiful, Pam. Thank you. And I'll, I'll make sure to provide in the show notes um, access to your work so that people can, people who might be listening, who might be new to the science of reading can have some, some really specific ideas from you on where they can start. So thank you. Thank oh, you thank so you, much. Laura. Oh, thank you. I, I told you it was such an honor. I was a nervous wreck. <laughs> oh, Pam. You know, Pam, it's so funny because you, I, one thing I love about you is you always say, you know, that it's an honor. It's an honor for you to serve at Patton. It's an honor for you. But I have to tell you, just speaking with you today is my honor. Aww. And I thank you for this time and this privilege for sharing your wisdom um, with all of our listeners. You really do. You epitomize our mission at the Reading League, and we greatly appreciate you and the work that you're doing. So thank you, Pam. Thank, thank you, truly. All right. I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Dr. Pam Kastner. I know I certainly did. Um, I really love the way that Pam drew this through line all the way from her third grade teacher, Miss Sullivan, to the work she's doing, the important work that she's doing today. Um, I love how she characterizes herself as a literacy warrior. Uh, she certainly is that. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate you tuning into our podcast. Um, if you enjoy the podcast, please be sure to rate us and share uh, with your friends and colleagues. And we hope to see you next time. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Dr. Pam Kastner. I know I certainly did. I really appreciated the way that Pam drew this through line from her third grade teacher, Miss Sullivan, all the way up through the work that she's doing now and really connects all those dots in a very human way with kindness and compassion and gratitude. Um, when she characterized herself as a literacy warrior, uh, she certainly is that. So thank you so much for tuning in. And I will be sure to put all of the things that we talked about today, access to Pam's Wakelets, and the Reading League Pennsylvania, and the books that Pam recommends. I'll put those in the show notes. So be sure to check that out. Um, and thank you. Thank you for tuning in. We really appreciate you listening to the podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, please be sure to rate us and also to share with, uh, with your friends and colleagues. So we hope to see you next time. Thanks again.